0: Welcome to Hash It Out Podcast. I'm Meetha, a computer science junior, and your host today. In our second episode of this semester, we will be discussing housing insecurity, what it means to be housing insecure, factors, and mapping housing insecurity in college students. Today, I'm joined by my amazing and adorable co-host, Billin. How are you feeling? Clearly very energized. I'm actually only very energized because
1: i am like um what is the word caffeinated i can't say that that's not a word um i have a lot of caffeine in my system right now but i'm actually very 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 tired like i want to sleep um but since i drank a lot of coffee and um i have pre-workout in my system i already worked out but like i'm just very energized right now so um, I haven't slept because I pulled an all-nighter studying for exams, um, and I know that this isn't the most practical thing to do, but we're in college, so I have an excuse, um, and I literally have no choice. It's like I know other people would be like, um, "Maybe you left it to last minute." I didn't, but I just never feel as prepared, um, and so like sometimes I just end up pulling an all-nighter. Sadly, um, and just like the words of wisdom from the first episode these are the words of misery <laughs> anyways back to the topic um let us discuss housing insecurity
0: yes um words of misery sometimes sound better than words of wisdom so there's that um coming back to housing insecurity first sort of uh, let's discuss the definition of housing security like what it means to be housing insecure. So housing housing insecurity is an umbrella term that en- encompasses about several dimensions of housing problems people may experience, including affordability, safety, quality, insecurity, and loss of housing. And although I would say there is no clear definition to it, something that might be close to um, knowing what exactly housing insecurity is, that the limited or uncertain availability of stable, safe, adequate and affordable housing and neighborhoods, um, the access to sort of these neighborhoods, the inability to acquire or get um, housing spaces in these neighborhoods um, in a very socially acceptable ways. For majority of the states in this country, between 10% and 15% of the households are um, housing insecure. Wyoming has the least housing insecurity, while California and New York have the most housing insecurity. About 20% of the households facing housing insecurity um, in this country and sadly missing a rent or utility payment or an, receiving an in Eviction notice is an important sign that a household's housing situation is unstable.
1: Reiterating on um, what you had said, there are seven dimensions. um, And like you stated, there's housing stability, housing affordability, housing quality, housing safety, neighborhood safety, neighborhood quality and homelessness. Within these dimensions, there are benchmarks that, according to the Department of Health and Human Services, they define housing insecurity with a little bit more specification, and uh, such as substandard housing, overcrowding, subfamilies, high housing costs in proportion to income, residential housing, homelessness, and uh, we will discuss the explanations of these. And starting out with substandard housing. This is when a resident lives in a residential area that lacks the basic upkeeps, such as, you know, clear running water or heating during the winter, Um, like things that aren't a necessity in a sense. Um, And this would be seen as an unlivable condition. And then there's overcrowding. Um, and, And it's really interesting to me because how... How does the government like it? they take the idea of many people living together um, to share the rent and like they stay and they say they consider this to be an insecure housing. Right. And um, they either force the evacuation of the home and to like to find a bigger area or they give a warning to do the previous rather than actually taking into consideration that they are having to live in such a small place due to the fact that. Not that they want to, but it's because rent is too much and they're literally not making enough. I mean, you know, minimum wage, its it just doesn't cover it. So they have to, they have to share it. Um, so now they'd have to look for a bigger home that possibly costs way more, even if they tried to split that. And it's especially hard when it comes to immigrants and foreigners because they, they're already like if they're coming from a different country um to this country it's new they're already struggling to find a job um and getting into the system and whatnot you know with the language barrier um education and there's just so much to do the first thing that they're thinking of isn't finding an apartment because in order to find the apartment you have to get into the system to be accepted um to be able to move in, and they really need somewhere to stay so they can, you know, receive the help that they need um, in order to get started, which leads to the next benchmark, sub-families. Basically overcrowding, but specifically talking about two or more families sharing the same home to splint the rent. Again, as I previously previously stated, there could be other ways to go about this. Um, How do you feel about it?
0: I think um, I can relate to the overcrowding or sub-families situation because back home, we do have joint families. Now, the primary reason why people are joint families because the whole um, India has a very communal living, like it's a very community-based society. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess it's more on the side of like people living together. Housing is like a benefit that sort of comes from it. But then again, we are a population of 1.3 billion people and um, yeah overcrowding is one of the major issues because um, the gap between the wealthy and um, the poor or below in the ones in poverty is pretty huge and with respect to that it's even with the taxpayers when we talk about paying taxes or paying back on like the rent um, and the stuff that you buy only about one percent of India's Indian population pays taxes or, and declares earnings about non-taxable income. So that's th- that's something, the overcrowding part is definitely very, very applicable to situations back home. Yeah. And speaking of which, um, some of the other dimensions that uh, Bill mentioned, sort of elaborating on that, is one, one of them is homelessness. So of uh, sort of, the seven housing secure uh, insecurity dimensions that were mentioned, homelessness appears to have the most standardized measurement in the U.S. Even though that there is still a disagreement on what constitutes homelessness, homelessness is typically categorized in three ways: um, being homeless at the time of sort of when you know they they do the surveys, you know how much percent. Mm -hmm. of the folks are like homeless or population yeah um then having been homeless at least one night throughout um that sort of measurement or that survey of the city or the you know the hud which is the u.s department of housing and urban uh they do and have having ever been homeless so irrespective of when those measurements in a society are taken um
1: can you like I know you said like with the measurements that they have, uh, could you just like imagine how many more people that haven't been um listed as homeless and there's like I don't know, like maybe they have say example, like they say that there's like ten or something, when in reality there's like fifteen. Like yeah. imagine the amount of like homeless people there actually are and compared to um in comparison to how many they're stating. So this could actually be like a way worse thing than
0: Um. yeah yeah like for example like but like the whole measurement was at the time then one night before the survey and then the folks that have been ever homeless but like you know what if it was Two or three nights before the survey, yeah. They noted, like, like
1: the factors aren't included into. Yeah, this.
0: exactly. Uh, so the prevalence of like homelessness can also vary by like time period over which it is defined and the unit of measurement. That is like, if it's an individual or a household. Um, The other factor is basically high housing. So most people who are considered um, housing insecure probably fall into this category. The government defines affordable housing, um, in general housing for which the occupant is or are paying no more than 30% of his or her income for the gross um, housing costs, including utilities. Um, The other factor is, or the other dimension, or the last one, is residential housing so you may not be living on the street but if you found yourself in like a transit or having to move every few months for economic reasons your housing situation is not secure so it's also about like having a stable household and um even though you know you might have a shelter over your head for the night doesn't mean or doesn't make anyone the situation to be you know secure
1: Yeah, um, I kind of want to go back to the sub-families and touch up on the residential housing. Uh, I know you talked about India, but, like, with Ethiopia, overcrowding is definitely a big thing, but I feel like another big thing is sub-families, but it's not really, like, they don't take it as a a huge deal because it's just, like, everyone wants to live together and everyone's happy that way. Um, But, like, in Ethiopia, um, and a lot of, like, not as developed like those countries that are just not as developed they have generations in that same house um or same area that they're living and it's like the great grandmother is still there the the grandmother and then the mother and then the children and then possibly their children will all with like it'd be like five six generations living in one household um and i just feel like A lot of times this is this is happening um, because you know those people that don't live in Ethiopia or in Eritrea like they're they're coming from uh, richer countries such as the U.S. or like um, countries within Europe and they're buying land and they're buying houses in in Ethiopia and they're like they're building their own houses which isn't a problem because I know a lot of people want to go back home and or want to go back and live there and personally I do too but like it's just the the idea of they're buying up all the land um like one person from say the UK they they have like three lands or like five lands where people in Ethiopia they don't have any land and they're like they're being forced to um in a sense, like, it'll be, like, residential housing because they're being forced to move from area to area because they can't find a land just for them since everyone else keeps coming in um, and, you know, buying it all and taking it all up. And I just feel like that's such a big problem. And I know it, it occurs in America as well, but there's—I feel like there's a little—I don't want to say better government, but— There's just a little bit more order here and they they can't really be forced to. uh, I can't say that either because it's really weird because I I don't know. I just really don't feel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. It's it's strange because even back home, it's like. The upper middle class or the rich people, like, they have their house and they might have, like, more three or four other properties. Yeah. But then the poor don't even have a proper, like, shelter or stable shelter to, like, live in. And it's pretty strange that even, the like, the fact that government or even there's a system that allows this idea that, hey, if one person has a land, they can go and end up buying other lands. But, like, if someone doesn't like how are you making that like a stable situation because if someone is taking a piece of that pie and keeps on taking it over and over again yeah. then what's left for the people you know and that that's something that sort of um i would say ties into sort of like the next point is the um, ho- us department of housing housing and urban development um They basically they had like a worst case housing needs reports that the report basically material well-being is the only report that takes steps towards a national snapshot of housing insecurity in about in 2011. The report sort of states that 3.4 percent, 2.6 percent and 6.7 percent of the U.S. households had poor housing quality lived in unsafe housing, and lived in unsafe neighborhoods, respectively. Moreover, it also recommends summarizing sort of a measure of hardship across nine indicators, five of which could qualify as housing related. So difficulty meeting essential expenses, not paying rent or mortgage, getting evicted, not paying utilities, having utilities cut off, having phone service cut off, and not seeing a doctor when needed, not seeing a dentist when needed, or always not having enough food, and this also looking at how pandemic has affected the world, um, and. You know, in states like New York and California where the expenses are too high and it makes sense why the housing insecurities in these states are more than any other state in the country.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous up there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the understanding, so in about 2020, the government released something called as the December Relief Package and the American Rescue Plan, they included over $46 billion Dollars in emergency rental assistance designed to help people who are struggling to pay their rent and avoid eviction. However, this um, emergency aid is still making its way to the people behind on rent. And about 7 to 13% of the adults with children reported that their children sometimes or often didn't eat enough in the last seven days because they couldn't afford it. Households typically, um, the first scale for scale back on food for adults before cutting back on what the children have to eat.
1: And with the coming back to like IEPUI and like university students, there's an estimated 12 million adults uh, living in rental housing. 16 um, percent of adult renters were not caught up on rent, uh, according to data collected September 29 and October 11.
0: Yes. I mean, understanding the housing insecurity among all students is extremely critical, especially on our on our campus Um, about understanding what the full need is and what is really out there, I think will help campuses hone in on providing the right kind of resources for the college students. Um, The Public Policy Institute at uh, Indiana University had a very laid out report that they made on trying to find um, the reasons for sort of housing insecurity on campus and um, like, Paying and how students are paying for their rent, affording their tuition, and so forth. So, about sixty-two percent. So, in the survey, the report that was conducted in about twenty eighteen, about sixty-two point nine percent of the, I would say, the students that were analyzed, um, about. 62.9% 62.9% did not pay full utilities to cover their other expenses. And about 30% agreed to the fact that the reason that they couldn't pay for the housing, um, for their tuition was because they didn't have enough money for housing. So th- that's something that, um, and then they had about, about 30% had like a financial hold on their bursar. And they had very difficulties paying tuition because of just, other basic living expenses. Um, And even with the sleeping situation, so about 5% of the respondents indicated that having slept in one or one of the other, like less desirable locations, um, likely indicating some level of housing instability. However, most of them responded that they had they had slept in one of sort of the locations, whether it's their own house, apartment, or in university housing, or at friends' or relatives' place, or, you know, co-surfing with uh, friends and family. So it's having done so some just sometimes or, like, rarely. And several students um, have experienced sort of very... Um, terrible sleeping situations including staying with someone in exchange for sex or favors staying at a shelter sleeping in public or abandoned places or staying in motel um, a fifth wheeler camper Um, and about there was there were 83.9 percent people who reported that they have slept in their own house compared to about there were 20 about combined there were 5% 5% of the people who state that they've lived in very unstable situations like a motel or a car or, yeah. So th- these things are really critical to reflect on because it shows where our campus is at and, how we can provide the right kind of resources knowing the issues that people are going through. So knowing that, you know, people, let's say, like one of the reasons they said they could not pay tuition because they were housing insecure, it can. It was also the way other around, like they couldn't pay for housing because they were busy paying for tuition. Yeah. So it kind of shows or makes us realize the kind of resources that we have to provide for everyone, like scholarships or programs that can help these people, guide them. And I believe we do have one of the programs
1: Thrive is a program and community at IUPUI for independent students. Um, Students who face housing challenges can have, you know, very different experiences. Um, Thrive connects each student with a peer mentor and assists students in finding on-campus employment. And honestly, I feel like that's a pretty decent program. Um, It may not help every single person, but it, it's it's the fact that it's there um, and it, it gives an option to those, you know, that that need it. And especially because it connects you not only like can help you with uh, payments possibly, um, but like you're getting a peer mentor and then um, you're kind of getting put on with a job on campus, um, even though some may not pay as well. It, it's just the fact that you have it um and i also like to touch up on the thing that you said earlier uh with how they have to a lot of students have to either worry about paying for tuition or they have to pay for um housing and if a lot of these students that have housing insecurities because either they they can't live at home or like they just they literally just don't have anywhere to go and a lot of students are full time students as well as full time workers, um, and I I just feel like that that you know can mentally affect them negatively, um, as well as physically put a you know a toll on them because not only not only are they working all the time, but they're also you know going to school, studying, and just trying to balance everything while having the stress of paying for where they're living. And housing Housing on campus can go up to, like, over $10,000 a year. On top of that, tuition, you know, tuition for IEPY is already high. And if they wanted to live on campus, that's even more money. So it's just, like, they have to balance all of that while also, you know, buying the necessities they need um, and then paying for, like... Uh, car gas parking parking that is so expensive here yes um you. and like there's just so many other things that they have to pay for uh it just makes it hard for them to you know really focus on one thing because they they can't they're by themselves they have to pay for everything and i don't know i just feel like having thrive and programs such as thrive can you know help more students uh get get some way through like just just get some type of uh what's it called
0: support assistance yeah 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 it fosters like a mutually supportive community through mentorship and engaged learning and which students learn about you know not just um like thriving or um, in college or the tips or the success for like time management and so forth but also the emotional intelligence their strengths and their values among other topics and um, I know even you're part of Norman Brown program right even Norman Brown provides like housing assistance right
1: yeah like that's I feel like Norman Brown is like one of the best scholarships um, here because not only are they providing you with the information that you need for like cultural Um, awareness and whatnot but they're also helping you with tuition and um, housing um, which is it's very it's very generous and I really do appreciate us having that program because it's not only helped me but it's helped a a lot of my friends um, get into IUPUI you know pay for IUPUI and then also have um, somewhere to live especially those that don't have anywhere to go Um, and I just feel like That's like, I don't know. I'm just so happy that Norman Brown is an actual thing. (laughs) Even I'm happy for you. Yeah.
0: So that's all for today's episode thank you for listening to us and being here with us even though we can't see you i hope you're listening to us and um i did see on the last episode we got a lot of likes on soundcloud okay. and um yeah we got a retreat so thank you so much keeps please cl- keep like supporting us because uh sometimes when we don't see you guys it's not the best thing but then we see the numbers and then we see the comments so i it kind of brings some sort of satisfaction uh, and validation. Uh, it's cold out there. So please stay warm. It's not the best time. Like the winter storm wasn't really the best thing in the whole universe. But it was something. I'm glad it's gone. And it's hot. right now, as of today, as of 9th February, it was. it's pretty hot outside. So I'm just happy about that because I hate cold. Um, anyway, but have an amazing day and have a great week. Thank you so much for joining us. back.